and welcome to Business Without the podcast powered by Ori Clark, the UK's leading law and accountancy firm. My name's Dominic Frisbee and alongside me today is my co-host, partner at Ori Clark, Julia Dory, who is on a mission to bring the fascinating business stories that the firm's clients are living to a wider audience with this podcast. Juliet, how are you doing? Who is our guest today? And what are we going to be talking about? Dom, I am tip-top today. I am super excited about the afternoon ahead. So, Dominic, we kindly have today Melina, who I like to call Mel. Mel is a very prominent figure in the UK digital industry. Melina who? Melina Jacobu. (laughs) (laughs) Melina founded Propel in 2001 and has grown it into one of the largest independent digital talent businesses in the UK, winning a Mariah Award for the best large agency in 2012. Mel is also a passionate thought leader, writer, public speaker. She has challenging debates around women in business, gender pay gaps, diversity, future technology, the effects of the gig economy, and the importance of company culture. She's been named in the hospital club's top 100 influential people in digital, along with Amy Winehouse. And she has also won the Marara Award for Best Human Resource Boss. She equally loves her food, wine and juices. We're in good company, Dom. Great stuff. So, Mel, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Julia. I couldn't even be more delighted to be here. I just love you, seeing you, watching you out, seeing you on Zoom. I'm just super excited about today because you bring a massive smile to my face with your positivity and your energy. Well, bless you, Mel. Bless you, Mel. Now, delighted to say that people often describe Mel and I as twins. (laughs) Well, this is my first question on the twins issue. You have both, I mean, I always compliment you, Juliet, on your glasses, but Mel, you've got an extraordinarily funky pair of glasses as well. Do you go to the same opticians? Yes, and it's a bit of an addiction, Dom, to be honest. We don't go to the same one. Oh, we no. go to the same one? No, but Mel's got way more than I do. So, Mel, you have run a recruitment business for a long, long time. How has recruitment changed over the past decade? Oh, wow. So, yes, a big, 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 big time. So I started out in recruitment about just over 20 years ago, set up in 2001, as you opened up with, and it's changed dramatically. You know, when I first started, I hate to say this, people were using facts to send CVs. I mean, now, the way the recruitment world is, it's a combination. It's marketing, it's technology, and it's networking. So you need all of those skill sets to get to people. You really genuinely do. And, you know, there's this um, fallacy around people that are recruiters are rubbish or headhunters are rubbish. They don't know what they're... Now you need to be, as you probably did before, but even more so now because it's super competitive and lots of people are doing it. You need to just be the best at what you do. You need to be totally passionate about it, but you need to be able to use the tech and have the network where there was no LinkedIn before, okay? So I was running around, meeting people, talking to them, but it's a combination of LinkedIn and marketing and tech and people. So it's a whole thing, but it's super exciting. You are amazing. Like wherever I go, Mel is there meeting the people, knowing the people. She's one of the people you always want at the event or to have have the chat with. 
Um, I think it is really important. I mean, I know my experience is we will still use agencies. I still massively value recruitment agents um, and agencies. I think it has saddened me and I've seen a lot of businesses take stuff in-house but I find that I still think the decision makers need to be involved in recruitment and not have it delegated. Uh, it's interesting. Recruitment, there's lots of ways to find individuals to work in your organisation. Look, if it's a senior hire, uh, you have to be targeted. You have to go and find those individuals because they are working in other organisations. They will never get back to an advert. So you do need headhunters. You know, if it's a senior role, you need headhunters to go to the market and talk to individuals that are in jobs that are happy and bring them to you and sell your opportunity. Has COVID affected you? Well, COVID, when it kicked off in March, our business jumped off a cliff. I mean, there was no business. We had lots of... So what we do is we hire in that VC, private equity, high growth technology space. So companies that are Series A and beyond, so they're backed by a VC or a PE business and they are scaling at speed. They're scale-ups and they're totally industry agnostic. So a lot, as you'd begin to imagine, we've done a hell of a lot in fintech and now we're doing lots in medtech and edtech and all that kind of stuff. Uh, in March, when COVID, when the pandemic started, we do a lot of US companies or North American companies landing in the UK. All those senior searches were put on hold and the domestic business was all put on hold. Everything went on pause. Other than a few engineering roles here and there, which candidates were just impossible to find. And, uh, you know, it was a worrying time. It was worrying. As a business owner and a founder, it was tough. But the good news is we are working in the tech space and it started to pick up, you know, in September it's gradually. And now when I look at our data and look at our statistics, it's, it's off the charts it's like 1999 again. You must remember those days as a lawyer. It's off the charts. It's like rocket ship stuff. Everybody is hiring. Everybody wants the best talent. And I hate to say it because it's a bit of a cliche, but there is a war on talent. I see a time where we are going to be really super challenged because there's so much VC money around and so many founders are getting funded. How are they going to find the talent? How do you? How do you attract the best there's a lot of ways to find talent. I mean, from our perspective, our brand is particularly strong and we've been around for 20 years. So, you know, honestly, if you're looking to hire or you're looking for a role in the tech scene, you've probably come to us as that. 20 years of networks, 20 years, those people that I placed all those years ago are now founders. I mean, I agree with you. I think the tech scene is booming. I, I, I don't see that changing. And thank God it is, because I think otherwise we'd be facing the most horrendous recession. Yep. But how do companies keep or attract that talent? Well, so this, this is the most interesting part of it. This is so, I love that question. I love it. Uh, the acquisition is super hard, as you can imagine, but the retention is even harder. So once you take someone on board, you have to say what you do. You have to really deliver to them. If you suggest to them it's an inclusive environment, you need to deliver an inclusive environment. If you say to them there's training, you have to give them training. You have to listen to them all the time. You have to give them the tools to develop and learn, and you have to give them the opportunities to be part of a culture that is actually something that they're aligned to and the values and everything you suggest you are, you have to be. But the retention bit is a difficult bit because 
we know that actually we've done so many salaries, so many survey salaries, so many salaries about why do people move. They don't move because of financial reasons, not all the time. Some of the time, not all the time. They leave businesses because they don't feel like they're being developed or they've got the wrong manager or they can't. there's no mobility within that organisation. So the retention piece is a key bit because the acquisition of, of, of talent is super expensive and time-consuming. So unless you have the right values, the culture, the training, all that kind of stuff, and give people a path that they feel listened to, then, frankly, they just move on. There's too many opportunities. There is so many opportunities. So be authentic. And if you say you're part of diversity inclusivity, deliver diversity inclusivity. Just do what you say and say what you do. Don't just put it on the wall and say, they're our values, that's what we believe in. Look, we're inclusive. And then don't ask everyone down the pub or to the bar or to the restaurant and all that kind of stuff. What's the most in-demand form of digital talent? What is the most in-demand digital skill set at the moment? Where do you want me to start, Dom? With the most (laughs) in-demand one. (laughs) Every single one is in demand. Every single one. I mean, clearly, engineers are tough to find, okay? Yeah, engineers, whether they're front-end, back-end, Python, whatever they are, but programmers are hard to find. But, you know, equally, commercial. Individuals in commercial, selling your business, are really difficult to find. And marketing. So all of them are really, really hard. It's easy. I mean, I could sit here, get off this call, ring up five or 10 friends and have lots and lots and lots of business, but we wouldn't be able to service it because there's just not enough candidates out there. So if you're telling a a young person, what would you advise them to learn to do to be guaranteed a good job and a good salary? Well, first of all, they've got to be happy. You can't tell them to do anything, Dom. They need to, it needs to come from them. But if you're talking about what kind of skill sets, anything around technology, anything around programming or engineering or media or content or any of, or creative, anything like that, that is in this technology world. But if they want to become a teacher, so be it. Or a social worker, so be it. But what, you're right, there's shitloads of jobs in this space. But content creation is, for example, it's very hard to make that pay on the internet. So the way the way to do it is to produce content for an employer rather than somebody else. Oh, what, on your own? I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Look, that, all the companies we work with pushing out content all the time. Whether someone can make content by, money by pushing their own content out is... It's different, right? They yeah. then become a publisher. So how do you make money out of that? I get what you... You're talking about p- publishing in a traditional way, but with the walls and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I'm not on about The Guardian. I'm not on about that. I'm on about content creation within social, within technology kind of spaces. I see. So now we've talked about, obviously, how do we find talent? How do we keep it? COVID is obviously hit. Now the big $50 million that everybody's trying to work out is what is the future of the workplace, right? Yeah. And and I know you and I were very much in our central London offices. I mean, we would normally be on a bar stool, meeting in person, all of those things. We are, we are obviously now on Zoom in our own homes. Mm. Right? Polar opposite to the environments we're used to. Do you have a sense of what the future workplace is going to be? I mean, you are obviously dealing with all the tech companies. To me, they were ahead of the game compared to other sectors in allowing some form of flexibility. Mm. What do you think the future holds? This has turned the world upside down. 
Okay, and it's been interesting. It's something that I, if I can be totally transparent, I was addicted to being in the office. If someone wasn't in the office, I was confused, annoyed, upset, couldn't understand it. Why weren't you in one? We've got an office in Soho. Why are you not here? You should be here first thing in the morning, late at night. And I was kind of part of that old school. And this has forced all of us to make change. And that change is positive change. Okay. You know, it's so, so funny. All the companies that we supply services to, the technology businesses, are all the technologies that we weren't using. Now those technologies are smashing out the park. They're better than they've ever been. Did you use before Zoom, Juliet, before? No. I used to have a PA to set up Zoom for me because I didn't know how to do it because I thought it was too technical. What a load of rubbish. Anyway, the future of work is as follows, or the future of the working environment is, I think it's probably a mix of two days in the office maybe free. I'm, I'm annoyed with all these big tech corporates because they're naughty by saying to people never come back to the office. That's pissed me right off because that affects the whole of those ecosystems, all the little indie coffee shops, all the little, you know, just because they can afford to say never come back, that affects everything and that affects everyone and that sets, sets up a stall, which is, I don't think it's right. I think we need to be around people. I don't think we need to be around people five days a week. I think two is adequate for all that osmosis. Mel, I agree with you that I fundamentally think there has to be a mix. I I think the big techs that have said not going back, I cannot begin to tell you how many phone calls I have had with their staff or their senior management on the the effect that that has had mentally. And the fact that they are losing staff because the thought of now they're going to have a job that is fully remote, they're not up for. And I think what's interesting is we seem to have come a full circle in my view that we were all in the office. Everybody wanted flexibility and everyone wants to work at home. We've now all been at home and now we're all like, "Mm, actually, most people want a mix and want a hybrid, right? Yep. And want an ability to do that. And I don't think that you can innovate. I don't think that you, you can build or be together fully remotely. I think you've got to be together. You have to, to share ideas and, you know, just those, especially, look, you can never employ a younger workforce, okay, if you want to build a business or scale it, because they need to learn by uh, from other people. They need to be around, they, they don't have that ability, they don't have that network. When you're young, so I'm afraid, I'm afraid to say that was a few years ago for me, but when you were young, when I was young, when I've seen other people, that you, they want to be around people. They want to meet friends. They want to meet their partners. They want to go out for beers. They, want to be, they don't want to be sitting indoors. They want to be part of it. Now, they don't want to be part of it five days a week because they've told us all that, Gen Z, but they do want it a couple of days. I don't know where you live. I live in London, but I've got an office in Soho. But that's even helping me not commuting in those extra days okay because it it helps with your well-being and all that kind of stuff are you noticing mel more and more people in the course of you know working from home and doing remote work and that and so on more and more people taking on multiple jobs working for several different people at once is that a, something you've noticed or is it people sticking with just the one company I'll tell you what's happened. That's a fantastic question, Dom. And it, actually, let me answer in this way. What it has done has opened up a huge talent pool, okay? Because if people don't have to be in the office five days a week and they don't have to be there from nine till six, that means single mothers or carers or people that couldn't do that commute and couldn't do those hours can now actually get those jobs. Yeah, I know. That's really good. It's it's kind of normalised 
odd working hours and flexibility and all the rest of it. And back to my point earlier, Dom, and I'm really glad, really glad you brought this up because that suddenly gives us a much more diverse talent pool, okay? Not only is that diverse talent pool actually now accessible, it's a really great one that no one has actually gone after before. So suddenly we've got a bigger talent pool. On secondary to that, what's happened is lots of the talent that we look for is in London, Dom, okay? Because mm-hmm. of that community. Now... That talent can be in Bath or Bristol or Liverpool or Manchester or Milton Keynes, and they can travel in to the office if needs be one day a week. Some some companies are saying come in twice a month. So suddenly it's opened up all those possibilities for different types of talent regionally and from a diverse perspective in terms of women, single parents, whether that's men or women and all that kind of stuff. So let me ask you both this question. You know, I was in Soho the other day and it was Friday evening. That was it. Friday evening in Soho. It was just dead. I mean, even if everyone has the vaccine and and COVID isn't as dangerous as it was and all the rest of it, what's the future of, of the city centre? What's the future of Soho? What's the future of, of, of Clark and Well and all those sort of groovy, cool places with extraordinarily high property prices? So, look, I love Soho through and through, and I'm a Londoner and all that kind of stuff, but the changes that you're talking about, we can see it with Oxford Street. So you look at Oxford Street, okay, 30% of that retail space is now empty for good, okay? Not for good forever, but for now. Yeah. People have walked away. Now, what we're going to see is massive change. We're going to see those environments start to change and start to evolve and places where people can go, not necessarily to shop in the way they did before, but to eat or to exercise. And that's where we're going to start seeing smart cities and places grow and develop where we can go to destinations to them. Do I think places like Soho will be affected No, because I actually believe people are desperate to get back into the world they were somewhat. And it's going to be like prohibition. You know, I'm a member of the Groucho Club. I'm very fortunate enough that I'm on the committee there. That place is now booked for the next six months. You know, you can't get a seat in any of these places now because it is going to pop back. It will pop back differently, but it will pop back. And we will see regeneration as well, which is great, right? There will be change. We knew that e-commerce was taking over and we knew that that traditional way of shopping had changed. And now I think we're going to see a lot of influx of technology businesses or brands, international brands that could never get on Oxford Street because they weren't allowed to get onto Oxford Street and we will go through change and we will, you know, it will be brilliant. It will be brilliant. It's going to, let's, let's just put our arms around it and run with it and just enjoy it. Look, I friggin' love London, right? Who, who do you meet in the world that doesn't love it as a city? So I believe it will come back. I agree with Mel, it will be different. But look, in, in, in seriousness, I think change will come. I think obviously the pandemic has sped stuff up, as we all know, but I think it's stuff that potentially would have happened anyway. I yeah. think there is demand for people needing to be together. I think we will want space to be able to do that. So I was discussing that. I don't. I think people will need the same space as before because if COVID carries on or whatever's going to be next or what have you, we have to learn to live with it. So we need an environment where there's space and then you need space to get groups together to be able to innovate. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that. I'm so behind that. And just think, if the traditional working space is gone, you could have parts of like empty bits of Debenhams where you could have an innovation day with your company and spend lots and lots of money. Instead of spending thousands on an office you go into every day, you could spend that once a month 
and there'd be loads of food stalls and you know of June oh there's just so much there's so much good stuff out there that we can make good out of a bad scenario and the world was ready for change like in the old days before the internet you know if you wanted to get a good job you would you know you'd dress the part and you'd maybe go and hang out at the bar where you knew everyone from that particular company would go to you know and you'd network and you'd you'd network in the physical world how does digital talent network in the digital world i know this is such a great question okay and it's back to my point earlier dom which is if you're older and mature and you've got a network it's simpler it's easier okay if you're young this is tough yeah you don't know anyone apart from the people you're at school or maybe university with but you're tech savvy, right? So you know to hustle and you know how to sort of connect with people in the ways that probably we don't, that you can do it. But let's face it, you're never that, I keep saying it, but that face-to-face, that looking at someone, that that chemistry, you can't get that on Zoom. You can get bits of it. Look, we're not going to be in this world forever. It's you know, The last year has been awful for many people, but on a senior level, to get to people on Zoom, if you've got a big network, which most of us have at this level, is easier somewhat. If you're younger, it's tough. But things are going to change because we've all got the vaccine coming, Dom. (laughs) But I also think the younger ones, they network like we never would. So through gaming, through different things, you know, it is a big thing. Um, Mel, I want to ask you, do you believe that there is a glass ceiling? Uh. I think it's really tough to get to the top if you're not just not just gender from a female perspective, but any minority group. I think there are definitely levels to um, that you can't rise beyond. So, yes, I think obviously at the top, if you pull the stats, probably the majority are white male, right? Yeah. And there is a lack of female. But you and I are both female owners, right? Yes. Do you feel you're treated any different? Well, you know, not suddenly, but we are starting to take things like Black Lives Matters, like gender pay gaps and all that a little bit more seriously than what we ever have, right? We are. But how many companies really have a proper diversity and inclusivity plan? How many of them have a real code of conduct? How many of them are making sure they're hiring the right people? How many of them have stakeholders that are from minority groups? You know, I mean, that's a question. And I think if we digged into the data, there wouldn't be many. Okay. And if they've got none of that, then they've got no systems in place. They've got no social corporate responsibility in place to hire the right people. Um, I don't know. I, look, I'm not saying there's not changes. And I reckon that I know there's more diversity in younger groups now. I do. But it's at senior level still that is quite difficult to penetrate. What do you think would help? Oh, God, there's so... The, the code of conduct, diversity, inclusivity, a proper, proper code of conduct. Uh, being brave and being bold and actually hiring people that don't necessarily fit the bill at the top, okay? That's a different... You know, that chap from Reddit, Serena Williams' husband, he took himself off the board because he was a white man, and he just put someone else on. He said, this is not, there's no diversity on my board. I'm, I'm, I'm still going to be the owner, but I'm, I'm going to go out and hire someone that's different. So it's about being brave and being bold and not doing what we've always done. So, you know, back to the point, have you seen these statistics? I talk about them all the time. 7% of decision makers in VCs, only 7% in VCs are women, right? 
this is what's having an effect on all of this. I feel things are changing and I own, I think you have to be constructive. So yes, you can write a policy, but it will take time for change to come. But I also think that we have to accept that it won't ever be fully equal or, or I think equal is the wrong word. I don't think like being a mom, I can do an amazing job all the time, right? Like I can't have it all at the same time. So I don't expect in my working that I should be paid the same as my male counterparts if I'm working less. It's all about output, isn't it? It's about output. It's about what you achieve. You might. Yeah, I think we're shifting. I think we're shifting to, you know, yes, it should be about output and and judging that output and, you know, sitting at a desk for, you know, nine to five or whatever and not being that productive or whatever. Whereas actually you can do, and I agree, you know, lots of mums were actually way more efficiently because you're like, shit, I've only got four hours. Right. Let me pump it out. And there's no cooler time chat and there's there's no any of that. Do you know which is the most discriminated against group in society? Let's see. Dom, I think it's going to be you. No, no, no. You have a guess and see if you can. They're the, the biggest, they're the most persecuted, the most overlooked for jobs, most overlooked for promotion, the worst paid, the most unfairly portrayed in the media. See if you can guess which, which it is. Most mocked. White middle aged man. What's your guess, Mel? Transgender. Ugly people. God. That's it. Thank God I set my own recruitment company up then. I would never have got a job. <laughs> I'm serious. There's the, there's been a big study of this by an economist called Daniel Hammermesh. And it doesn't wow. matter what race, what sex, what religion, whatever, the least good looking 20% are the most persecuted, the most overlooked for jobs, most overlooked for promotion. Oh, Even God. things like they get tougher prison sentences, they're less trusted, they get worse loan deals, all those things like microaggression and unconscious bias. And if you think about it, it makes total sense. And I mean, it's a horrible word, ugly people, because you get, you know, less unattractive people from all walks of life. There's no sort of single group lobbying for them. There's no one, do you know what I mean? It's not like there's, with other um, groups, you get like a, 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 a representative bodies lobbying on your behalf. Interesting, isn't it? Really fascinating. Wow. wow. Well, that's made Mel speechless, Dom. I tell you, <coughs> you are the first person to ever achieve that. <laughs> Good looking people get ahead. It's that's why the beauty industry is worth so much. Everyone wants to improve the way they look. I want to call back to something you were saying at, at the beginning of this uh, conversation when you described, you know, when COVID came in March, just the yeah. world stopped. But from maybe September or some point in the autumn, suddenly things have really picked up to the point that we now have some kind of boom going on. How excessive do you think that boom is? What, what does what what's going on in in your you know, digital industry, what does that say about the, the greater economy? What's What lies in store? I think we've got some seriously positive times from a financial perspective in store. I feel that we've just had a massive bounce back and beyond that. I think everyone is like, look, we're totally sick and tired of the last year. Um, and it's time to get on with it and it's time to invest. And actually, you'll see lots of businesses in our tech world that have pivoted there's so much going on around med tech and health tech and people taking care of themselves from, from this, from this pandemic. And equally, there's a lot of technology around 
uh, work management, so technology tools that you can work anywhere remotely, that's boomed. What do I see for the future? I feel the next three, four, five years are just going to be absolutely off the scale and it's time to strap in and get going and making sure that you've really got enough energy and positivity to, make, to, 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 you know, to be resilient to the fact it's going to be a lot of work because it's just positive. It's positive, positive, positive. I think people are going to start spending money. They want to get out. They want to go into hospitality. You know, they want to get to restaurants. They want to get to bars. It's going to be totally like prohibition. I mean, I don't know what you've seen, Julia. I don't know. I was about to ask just that question. What's going on? Oh, sorry. The law and the council. No, it's absolutely fine. Oh, yeah. I mean, for us, when COVID hit, either people were in real trouble or they were doing phenomenally well, right? There was no in-between right? Um, we have remained really busy. Yeah. Um, and people are fortunate for us. A lot of our clients are in tech. So, you know, that sector has boomed, has managed to survive, right? And, and a lot is happening. So I am not pessimistic at all about the future. I'm sanded at, at some of the stuff. And I think, you know, in certain sectors, there will be real change. Mm-hmm. Um, so retail will change. You know, I'm not necessarily going to go back walking the high street, but I think there's opportunities as a result. I think people will go to a shop to go to an independent mall and support other brands, not major brand necessarily. And it will become more of an experience. And I've seen amazing tech um, coming out for retail and stuff. And then I still think we are obsessed with food and booze, right? And we still love to party. So I still think, you know, hospitality will come back. I mean, if you're trying to book a restaurant right now, you can't get in anywhere for love nor money, right? Yeah. It's booked. It's, It's one of those things, just thinking with my investor's hat on, you know, I'd I'd be willing and and happy to invest in companies in areas that are safe from being shut down again. But given how willing, you know, government has been to play the health and safety card, you know, rightly or wrongly, you know, at the drop of a hat and just suddenly close a business down, it it does make you think as an investor, well, I I could make a lot of money here on the bounce back, but at the same time, I've you know, I really I don't want to put too much capital into somewhere that can just suddenly be shut down just like that with me having no control over it. You know, let, let's just say I was a restaurateur, you know, I'd, mm. I'd risk, I don't even know how much it costs to open a new restaurant, but it costs a lot of money, but I probably wouldn't take on a lease for more than six months because <laughs> who knows if, it's, if we, we, what, what will happen six months' time. Those sort of areas that you wouldn't in that, but if someone came to you, Dom, and they said, right, I've got a grocery, bit of technology. Oh, sure. Precisely my point. Tech is safe. They can't close it down. It's it's the real world where the problem is. Yeah, and people are using tech in the way they've never used it before, ever, 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 ever. And we're really, really just, it's sped up that whole, whole tech scene and the technology by 10 years. What we're doing now could have happened in five or 10 years and probably was going to happen in five. We're back to Juliet's point about, you know, Oxford Street and all that kind of stuff. We wouldn't have seen that for five years. Now... I mean, I remember when I used to work with Expedia and people like that or uh, Auto Trade and all those kind. If I said to you 10 years ago, you'd buy a car online, I think you'd think I was mad. Yellow pages, yellow pages. I mean, there are institutions that have disappeared. Yeah. 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 And where's J.R. Hartley and all of this? 
Yes, well, indeed. You know, what I'm also horrified about is advertising, though, because my kids, they watch TV and they've never seen an advert. You know, they they do live stream and streaming. Yeah, well, an advert came on my parents' television. They thought this was outrageous. <laughs> what was this? I had to explain to them in my day there was scheduling and there was only a children's program on at a set time at a set yeah, time I know. of day. And those adverts, you know, those little jingles from the 70s and 80s which, where the whole country would be singing the song of that jingle, you know. It's chips, it's chips, I hope it's chips, it's chips and things like that. So we have three generic questions which we uh, uh, finish the show with and um, I'm going to ask the first of them and then Juliet's going to ask the second. So um, we've sort of talked about this, but what are you most excited about for the future of your business, Mel? So for my business, I'm really excited about the fact that we've used the pandemic to rebrand so we've got a whole new brand and it looks absolutely gorgeous. And it's the first time in 20 years that I've been really proud of it. So a new branding for our website and everything that goes out, which is great. Uh, and we've overhauled all our technology in the business. You know, we've done what all our clients do. We have made sure everyone can remote work really well. They've all got laptops. We've changed our phone system. We've got technology that's so so underpinned now with data. So I'm really excited. We never had all that before. And um, I love the fact that I've got the ability to scale my business again because everyone's hiring. So I can regroup and hire some fantastic people for Propel because it's all about the people. And the the final thing is, I, I had this before, but it's even more, it's the ability to work with really destructive companies that um, international businesses that actually, and domestic, that are in some ways, Don, honestly, changing the world. Give us an example of one of those. Uh, there's a lot around medtech. So we work with organisations and medtech businesses that actually uh, do a lot around cancer and all these kind of really horrid diseases that we're impacting in with. So lots around cancer and lots around illness, you know, being able to, uh, you know, take lots of blood tests and do all stuff. Early diagnosis actually- and all that early diagnosis and then we do a lot around health tech so we work with um you know just just great companies just brilliant companies so on missions to change the world in many ways and to look after people's health juliet over to you so if there was one thing in the world you could change over the next five years what would it be Uh, if i can change one thing over the next few uh five years in the world it would be um the discrimination of all minority groups. Well, we're going to keep in touch. So once you've achieved that, <laughs> let, let's, let's re-meet and discuss. And you're going to read me those statistics and tell me how many people you've put in those jobs to create the correct statistics. You may laugh, but I'm good. My, my mission is to basically do that. Uh, well, I'm happy to help you, Mel. We can go and do some training and, and do some recruitment and get some of those talents into those positions. Then, Mel, we obviously call this this podcast Business Without Bullshit. Can you give us some keywords or phrases that define what business means to you uh, and what is bullshit? So business to me means success, focus, enjoyment. I have to enjoy what I do and I want to be super passionate about it. And what about bullshit? Bullshit to me are people that are false, not authentic, people that talk too much 
And uh, I, I like people that are real and transparent and uh, direct and just honest. And it's really important for me to be around people that share the same values. So bullshit in business is not being authentic and not having the really difficult conversations sometimes. Good stuff. Well, um, Mel, uh, as we close, would you like to give yourself or your business a little plug if we want to find out more about you and what you do? How, how do we go about doing that? Yeah, that would be brilliant. My name's Melina Jacobu. You can find me on LinkedIn. My pro- company is called Propel. So you can find us, Propel. We are on lots of channels out there. You will find us easily. And we help high-growth VC and PE technology business find human beings. We're all about the talent, Don. We're all about the talent. Good stuff. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was this week's episode of Business Without Thanks once again to our guest, Melina Jacovu or Mel Jacovu, for joining us. A big thank you to you, dear listener, and we'll be back with another episode at the same time next week. In the meantime, please do rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Biz Without BS, B-I-Z Without BS, where you'll find more helpful business content. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel by searching for us using the hashtags BizWithoutBS and Ori Clark. Ah, one more thing. I thank my co-host, my gracious co-host, Juliet Ori. Juliet, thank you very much. Tom, I'm delighted you let me get a word in. I'm rather excited. Thank you kindly. But I'm sorry for everybody else because your chat is way better than I mine. feel deeply victimised to have been characterised in this way and deeply misrepresented. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, it's cheerio. Bye.